trauma is brain indigestion. It's anything that exceeds your brain's ability to process. So it's sort of like if you think about food, not all food is going to cause indigestion, but all food has the potential to cause indigestion. Trauma is anything that's happening inside you versus a traumatic event, which are the things people think of like assaults and you know, rape and natural disaster and whatnot. But trauma is just a brain indigestion episode at its most basic. We all have it to a degree. You're listening to Make Some Noise podcast episode number 397 with guest Britt Frank. Welcome to Make Some Noise podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Britt Frank is back. I got so much positive feedback from her last episode that she was on. That was episode 358, if you missed it. Britt is a therapist who specializes in trauma recovery, and the last episode was really great. So if you haven't heard that, I highly encourage you to go listen to it. I wanted to announce that I have room for one private client in my practice right now, and I'm actually taking someone through the Daring Way right now privately, and I I just love this curriculum so much. So I wanted to just kind of quickly tell you what that actually is. I know I've repeated this ad nauseum. I am certified in the Daring Way. It's the methodology based on the research of Brene Brown, and The Daring Away is the program that I take people through that is essentially, and I don't say this lightly, it's essentially life-changing. So basically, we, we together, we shine a light on all the ways that you're living your life from fear. It's a lot of, if you liked How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, that book came from my training and working with so many women. I was like, I need to write about this. I need to write about all the ways that we show up and that we use these unhealthy coping mechanisms because we think they're going to protect us and they don't. That's how How to Stop Feeling Like Shit was born. And The Daring Way, again, was born from that. And so we look at all the ways you're living your life from fear and where it came from and why you're doing it. And then I teach you the tools necessary to live your life from a place of courage instead of perfectionism, people-pleasing, numbing out, hiding out, et cetera. And all the while, I'm supporting you in practicing these tools in real-life scenarios because it's not just about learning them and us talking them through. It's about you going out in your life and things happen, and I'm supporting you along the way and holding you accountable and all that great stuff. I also have lead coaches, amazing, amazing women. Sabrina and Liz are my lead coaches, and if it's not a great fit with me or this particular curriculum – I'm happy to refer you to them. You can have a conversation with them and see if it's a better fit. Super easy, no obligation. Uh, The application's over at andreaowen.com slash apply. Okay, the other thing I want to mention is the free webinar on self-confidence I have coming up on August 5th. This is exclusively for people who pre-order Make Some Noise, which is my new book that's coming out in August. 
This webinar is a preview of the book, plus some extras on how to implement the advice in your life. I'm giving you a very simple methodology, which I'm calling the TSA methodology, so you can go out into your life and take some action and gain some self-confidence. There's other bonuses, too, for pre-ordering Make Some Noise, including a workbook and a book plate that I will personalize, sign, and snail mail it to you. Who doesn't love to get mail? I sure love to get mail. Anything other than bills, I love to get. You can find everything at andreaowen.com slash noise. That's where you can pick where to pre-order the book if you haven't already and sign up to grab all the bonuses. And I will see you at the live webinar on August 5th. All right, before we jump in, let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Britt Frank is a trauma therapist, teacher, and speaker who specializes in the science of stuck. Britt's work empowers people to understand the inner mechanisms of their brains and bodies. Whether she's leading a workshop, teaching a class, or working individually with private clients, Britt's goal is to educate, empower, and equip people to transform even their most persistent and long-standing patterns of thinking and doing. She received her undergrad from Duke University and her Master's of Social Work from the University of Kansas, where she is now an award-winning adjunct professor. So without further ado, here is Britt. Britt Frank is back on the show. Do you love how I said your first and last name? It just makes it more it's official. It's so official. Thank you so much. <laughs> I I am excited to have you on. And, and after we had our conversation the last time you were on, I believe it was episode 358 for people who missed it. I told everyone about you. I was like, <laughs> you guys have to go and read all of our stuff. And, and it just is an expertise that I'm fascinated with. I think that is so universal around trauma and healing from difficult relationships. And let's, I, I want to do a, just a very brief recap of what we talked about last time around narcissism mm-hmm. for people who might be new to the topic, because again, it is such a buzzword these days. So as a review, can you tell us what is and what is not narcissism? Yes. And I'm so glad you said that because it's such a trendy buzzword that it's starting to get watered down and lose its meaning. And it's so important that we are talking about the same thing when talking about narcissism. So, okay. Narcissism is a quality that everybody has. I have it. You have it. You know, if you're a human to mm-hmm. a degree, you're going to have a little bit of narcissism because we're all concerned with our image and what we present to the world. Okay. So that's narcissism with an M. A narcissist is somebody who falls on the extreme, extreme high end of the spectrum of narcissism. Someone, when I use the word narcissist with the word T or the letter T at the end, I'm referring to someone who is so far gone from their humanity that they're causing damage, they're causing destruction, and more so, they are delighting. You know, there's a lot of people that cause relational chaos. I'm one of them. I'm a recovering relational crazy person. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between out of my own trauma, I hurt people. A narcissist actually gets off on hurting people. And that's really the differentiation between someone who's got narcissism, who might not be the healthiest person, and a narcissist who delights in destroying other people. Okay. Which actually, now I have a second part to that question because I understand that in the DSM, they, 
only refer to antisocial personality disorder, it which is what they used to refer to people who are sociopaths mm-hmm. or psychopaths. Mm-hmm. So does narcissism, or I should say a narcissist, fall under that same umbrella with antisocial personality disorder? Typically, yeah. I mean, not all people with an ASPD, antisocial, not all sociopaths and psychopaths cause harm. They can, and many do but not all of them are going to. Narcissists by definition are going to cause harm and most of them are going to delight in it or at the very least not care that they're causing harm. But it's a Venn diagram with a lot of overlap. Okay, some overlap. All right. And in that last episode, we had discussed how, you know, you, you talked about how someone knows whether or not they are in a you know, quote unquote, narcissistic relationship or mm-hmm. with someone who who is. So let's say someone has identified and they're pretty sure that they're, that they're in one, that their, their partner is a narcissist. How can someone decide whether they should stay or go? Because there's no like, you know, like litmus test mm-hmm. <laughs> to tell them for sure if they are not. Wouldn't that be nice if we could take a blood test? Like your blood type is asshole. Glasses uh-huh. on that would tell you like 3D glasses. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know who said this and I really want to attribute credit, but somebody on Instagram posted a meme that said, um, the first sign of a narcissistic relationship is confusion. Might be narcoway. I don't know who said it, but it's true. In toxic relationships, you're going to have pain and sadness and anger and hurt. But with a narcissist, you're going to be confused. Nothing is going to make sense. You're not even going to know if there's anything wrong. You're going to feel crazy. And the do I stay or go question is pretty much impossible at the beginning because you don't even know if there's a problem. You're, you know, you're, you're seeing a green sky and a purple grass and wondering, am I the problem? So do I, I was just about to say, or you think that you're the, you're the problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So do I stay or go is not the first question, but am I crazy for most people, myself included is the first question, but it's so confusing. If someone asked me that and given, I don't have the expertise that you do or the training that you do, I would say, if you're asking Uh yourself the question, I'm not saying that you should go. I'm just saying that you should really look into why you're asking yourself the question in the first place. Uh, Yes. So much is to that. And, you know, if you're Googling, is my partner a narcissist? Then the relationship is problematic. And I I tell my clients, don't get hung up on the label. If they're a narcissist, are they narcissistic? Do they have anti? So it doesn't matter if you're being harmed in this relationship, if you're not living your best life, if you feel less than your best self, and then it's not a healthy relationship. Now, getting out is a harder thing because it becomes its own kind of addiction. But, you know, if you're not happy. Uh, We talked about that Mm -hmm. last time. Right. Mm -hmm. About the withdrawals. and Oh, it's awful. But if you're not happy, don't worry about labeling it. If it's toxic and unhealthy, you're going to be able to see that faster than labeling it with this is a narcissistic relationship. And I'm I'm curious about after we talked last time, (laughs) you might laugh at this question. I read somewhere that a lot of narcissistic tendencies stem stem from childhood experiences like mother or father wounding, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So how can we talk to our children? In in other words, like how do we prevent our kids from being? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I don't want to raise one. I love that question (laughs) so much. Okay. So the very first disclaimer here. So yes, it does stem from childhood. No, it's not your fault if your child has turned into a raging narcissist. You know, you know, childhood okay. explains the origin of a lot of behaviors, 
but once you grow, then the responsibility is on you to not be an asshole. So a bad childhood mm -hmm. or less than perfect parenting doesn't get you out of, you know, it's not a get out of jail free for being a narc. So narcissistic treatment and recovery, all of that, it's not about blaming the parents. So that's my big disclaimer. Now that said, yes, narcissism is an attachment disorder and it stems from childhood. And the best way to prevent your children from becoming little narcissists is to pay attention to them, to who they are, not to who you think they should be or to who you want them to be. Narcissists as children learn very quickly how to shape shift in order to gain secure attachment and approval from their caregivers. So if you have a child that knows no matter who I am, I'm going to be loved, the chances that that kid's going to turn into a raging narc are pretty slim. I mean, I don't worry about either of my children, but I just, I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair question though. It really uh, is. Yeah. Well, I know we, we want to raise our, our children to be good, caring, compassionate human beings. And yeah, I, I saw a meme somewhere. I love, you know, like everything, everything good we learn is, is from memes on Instagram. Totally. Um, but I, I saw a meme, it might've been a few years ago that said, said something like, raise your son to grow up to be the kind of person you would want your daughter to date. Mm. And I was like, damn, that brings a lot of things to the <laughs> forefront of conversations <laughs> that I think a lot of people avoid. Um, but I took that to heart and, and think about that a lot. My son's 13 now. Oh, so gosh. There's And it's, it's a really solid piece of advice. And there's... Uh, the, and again, I agree with it 100%. The problem with that is that kind of ideology tells boys that their job is to take care of women. Narcissists become narcissists True. because they believe they need to take care of their mom. And so to a degree, what you're going to want to do is make sure that your boys and girls can be narcissists too. So I'll just say your children. Um, that they mm -hmm. feel seen and heard first because people think that narcissists are all about themselves, which is true, but it's because they were never, you know, really seen as kids. So before teaching your child to have empathy on other people, which is important, but the best way to install empathy mm -hmm. is to empathize with the kid. A kid that feels seen and heard is going to have the capacity to see and hear other people. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I, and I, I appreciate that perspective shift and it's interesting how blind I think all of us, mm -hmm. you know, Mike's just how blind we can be to, I mean, more or less misogyny in yes. cases, but just patriarchy in general, it's all around us. It's everywhere. And, you know, narcissists, both of, of, you know, any gender identifying whoever, narcissists have an internalized hatred, not just of women, but of humans. So, you know, the narcissistic men with whom I worked in my practice hate women, but they hate men too. And so that's another kind of differentiation that misogyny is a problem with narcissists. It's a hatred of all humanity. That's the problem. And empathy really is the solution to that. I'm curious because when we hear the word trauma, we often think about a horrific incident that mm -hmm. happened in someone's life. And I love that you have a very straightforward and easy to understand way of explaining it. And, and you, well, you share it, how you explain <laughs> the like hardcore neuroscience people, I'm sure are just like, what is she saying? But I love metaphors. I love metaphors. <laughs> I was going to say like, no, it's not a neuroscience thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not technical and it's not literal, but trauma is brain indigestion. It's anything that exceeds your brain's ability to process. So it's sort of like, if you think 
think about food, not all food is going to cause indigestion, but all food has the potential to cause indigestion. It doesn't mean that that, you know, mm -hmm. that apple is bad. It just means that where your stomach is at on that day, it's not agreeing with you. Trauma is anything that's happening inside you versus a traumatic event, which are the things people think of like assaults and you know, rape and natural disaster and whatnot. But trauma is just a brain indigestion episode at its most basic. We all have it to a degree. I love that. And I that's not what I was, because I think it's on the homepage of your website. You say trauma is not defined by what happens to you, but about how your brain interprets safety and danger. Right. And I love the, I love the indigestion. <laughs> that one's an even more watered down version because with you know, with danger and safety, people will often say, well, I'm safe. Why? I don't have trauma. Everything in my environment is safe. And it's like, well, logically, yes, everything is safe, but your brain is going to decide what feels safe, what doesn't feel safe. And it does so with its own agenda that you don't have a say in. Um, so I distilled that down okay. to make it brain indigestion because that makes it even, even okay. easier to understand. It is easy to understand. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want to ask you about, I think I heard you talking about this on another interview and I, I love this perspective and I've often thought about this too and, and talked to clients about it to kind of let them off the hook. But how do you feel? Give us your Brit Frank opinion <laughs> on forgiveness. Uh, oh, I love you. I, that's exactly <laughs> what you said in the other interview. <laughs> that, there's my answer. Oh God, I love you. You're fantastic. Thank you for bringing that up. It's like if nothing else, my mission in life is to take the, you have to forgive everybody or you're not going to heal message out of popular, whatever. Forgiveness is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I am not anti-forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is a spiritual ideal. It's a wonderful state to get to. Forgiveness is not required to heal trauma. And so the people, the well-meaning, wonderful people that say you can't heal without forgiveness, that's not true. There's nothing in our brains that says forgiveness is necessary in order to renegotiate a, a neural pathway or to give ourselves a reparative experience. So my, my shorthand little pithy statement here is forgiveness is a spiritual ideal, but not a requirement for trauma healing at all. Mm -hmm. I, I remember I, it was months and months ago. I heard you talking about that. And I, I, there was somebody else too, that was talking about it before. And I, and, and I've written about forgiveness and I, and I'm, I heard it and I was like, I actually absolutely agree with that, that, and, and forgiveness to me has always felt like this sort of arbitrary, mm -hmm. more or less esoteric yes. type of mysterious thing out there. And people ask me, you know, how do I know if I've forgiven someone? And I'm like, well, I, I do think that there is some sort of guidelines that you can go by about how charged you mm -hmm. feel when you think about the event. Do you wish this person, can you wish this person well, genuinely, you know, little bullet points like that. But, and I also feel it, like you were saying, it's so multi-layered and cyclical and I, I just don't ever want it. I don't want people to think that it is something that they have to, like it's a destination for them and they're doing it wrong if they still feel resentment or disappointment yes. or to the person who's hurt them. Because the spiritual teachings are, you know, you have to forgive. So if someone struggles with forgiveness, they're going to feel shame and shame is going to kind of become its own barrier to the forgiveness process. I mean, if you get high enough, if we're talking the collective consciousness and the oneness and, you know, to forgive you is to forgive myself. That's true. And that's great. 
But if we're talking about healing trauma, a big part of the process of healing is feeling the, the reality of our anger and our rage and our pain. And anytime we jump to forgiveness at the expense of our own truth, we gaslight ourselves. And then nobody's forgiven. Yeah. Wait, stop right there. Cause I want you to say that again. Anytime we jump to forgiveness at the expense of our own. Can you say that again? Anytime that we jump to forgiveness at the expense of our own truth, we gaslight ourselves. Yeah. Completely. You know, mm -hmm. forgiveness is only possible when you access your anger and your authentic feelings. Once you digest and process and access your feelings. And if you want to forgive someone, awesome great, but not at the expense of your own truth. I love that. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I've, I've read books on forgiveness and I've, I've felt like I wasn't at the same spiritual mm -hmm. level as these people. I'm like, I don't know what level of consciousness you're on, but I am not there. Right. I would love an invitation. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it becomes bypassing. Then it gets into, I just mm -hmm. live in a state of forgiveness and I have nothing. And it's like, okay, well, you know, where'd your sad go? Oh, I don't feel sad. I just, I just forgive. Forgiveness is a very appealing place to go to avoid the messier feelings. And I, you know, I fell right. into that trap too. It's like, oh, if I jump to forgiveness, then everything is sunny and shiny and clean. You know, pain and sadness and anger and shame and guilt are messy, but they're necessary for real forgiveness mm -hmm. to even be mm -hmm. possible. Rant over. Human experience. <laughs> yes. Okay. Rant over. I just want to tag onto that. It reminds me a little bit of, and this is such an unpopular opinion, Don Miguel Ruiz's Four Agreements, mm -hmm. also an ideal. The whole, mm -hmm. like, don't take things personally. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> who, who does that? And it, I, it's, it's one of those things where it's a beautiful sentiment and it gets lost in translation because memes are created. <laughs> We're back to memes on Instagram and people read that don't take things personally and think that it's a black or white scenario. Like either you, you don't take things personally and you live in this like perfect spiritual realm where there's unicorns and fairies, or you take things personally all day long, beat yourself up and you're a crappy personal development human. Yes. And I'm so, that was brave of you to bring up the four agreements. Cause I agree with you 100%, but I don't think I've ever put a meme together saying so, but it's true. When you say, don't take things personally, if you distill that far enough down, what you're saying is you as a person don't matter. And the hurts that have been inflicted upon you don't matter. I, I get that. That's not what he's saying, but that's a really easy place to interpret high level collective mm -hmm. consciousness. Yeah. Nothing is personal because what they're doing to me, and, like, no. Yes. And, and is in his defense, I have heard him. I wrote about this in one of my books. I've heard him interviewed. I can't remember if it was Ellen DeGeneres or Oprah, one of the two where they asked about that and he further explained and he does talk about the nuances, yes. which I was very relieved <laughs> to hear. Um, he wasn't super preachy and, and spiritual about it, but there, I just feel like there's so much advice out there that, that tells people what to do. And, and there's, there's so much new, I mean, the whole, like, don't take things personally. It's like, have you lived as a woman in this society yes. or as a person of color or as I mean, the <laughs> disabled person, the privilege thing really, you know, the whole, like, well, what they say about you reflects more on them than you. And it's not about you and don't take it personally is great. If you're in a privileged position where your safety is not in question or your life is not in danger, but it's a lot harder to swallow that pill if it is. So I'm with you. It's a great ideal, not necessarily a universal thing that's so black and white. 
sorry, not sorry. I have one more quote <laughs> that I want to hate on and then we'll move on to the next thing. And I don't know if it was really Eleanor Roosevelt who said this, but the quote that floats around of no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. <laughs> I love Fuck all the way off. Oh. That one. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get so much hate after this interview. I know. Oh my God. Okay. So let's talk about children. Children can 100% be made to feel bad about themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, no one can make you when you tell a kid that and a lot of people use that quote to tell kids, you shouldn't let anybody make you feel bad about yourself. Well, we're as children, we're learning about the world through how people are relating to us and interacting with us. And it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Other people very much help you come up with who am I in this world and am I valuable and am I worthy? So, yeah, I'm with you. I don't agree with that. What's it's again, I I get it. But no, no. Uh, yes. <laughs> and again, amazing sentiment. Yes. And I, uh, uh, I myself have said that to one of my children before. I can't remember which one. And ha- then thought about it months, maybe years later and backtrack. And now we have bigger conversations about it. So my apologies to anyone whom I've offended. Oh my God. Me too. I used that to say it too. This morning to their children. <laughs> <laughs> no shame. If you've said these things Please, this is another disclaimer. This isn't about shaming people who have said to other people, don't take things personally. It's don't take things personal. Yeah. It's about when we know more, we can do better. My Angelo, some you know, yeah. paraphrased. But yeah. And I think what's helpful for me over the past few years is really thinking about nuance mm-hmm. and that there's so much gray area and so much lived experience that is outside of my own. Go figure. And that <laughs> helps me sort of expand the advice that I give, the way that I talk to my kids, the way I talk to my clients, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Okay. We will stop hating on famous personal development quotes. I'm interrupting this conversation to tell you about one of our sponsors. Since we started using Green Chef last year, one of the things I love about them is that it's kind of like you're picking from a menu every week. And the best part about that is that I didn't have to put the menu together. (laughs) Already done for me. The ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped. That means less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. And I will say this, there has not been a meal that I didn't like from Green Chef. All of them, super yummy. They offer nine meal options every week for each plan, and you can also switch it up whenever you want and try a new way of eating. Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company delivering you fresh, flavorful veggies straight from the farm. Go to greenchef.com slash kickass100 and use code kickass100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash kickass100. Use code kickass100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. And thank you so much for supporting our sponsors because that in turn supports this show. Well, let's let's circle back to talking about narcissistic abuse or trauma. And so once someone is aware of what's happening, say they're in a relationship or even maybe it, they they think about their childhood and they're like, "You know what? I think that there's some abuse there that I need to to uncover and and work on. So what are some ways that person can cope in the meantime and try to break free from what they're, what's going on inside their minds and inside their bodies? Oh gosh. And it's so tough, right? So, I mean, it can be a helpful place to start by asking what am I, what are the benefits to this relationship? Because, and I can say from personal experience, even the most toxic, violent, 
abusive, gross, icky relationships are going to provide benefits of all flavors. And so if you don't understand what you're getting from the relationship, it's going to be really hard to leave it because you need to find ways of replacing whatever the perks are. And so getting Mm -hmm. like ferociously honest with yourself and saying, all right, if I'm going to be completely honest, what are the perks? What are the rewards that I'm getting from this? Now, a lot of people get very offended by that. Like, oh my God, clutches pearls. How dare you suggest that I am getting anything from this, you know, horrible situation. And I get it because I've been there, but every situation provides benefits. Otherwise we wouldn't be stuck. And so understanding that, validating that, and then finding healthier ways to meet those needs is a good, you know, rule of thumb, general working guideline. Okay. Well, it, it's interesting because I, when you said that, I was like, yeah, I mean, there there are benefits. For me, in my abusive relationship, I think the biggest benefit was companionship. Yes. And I was I would tell my therapist and I'm like, and and I, I was talking about this in another podcast episode, and I've gone through this trauma therapy over the last year with her. And and when she really laid it out for me and was like, okay, based on everything you've told me and that he used manipulation, intimidation, gaslighting, mm-hmm. among many other things, she's like, A, that was an abusive relationship. And, and she went on. But I had a really hard time, number one, labeling it that. Mm-hmm. Because it was never physical, even though he used physical intimidation to scare me and to control me, he never hit me. And so I had a really hard time accepting that it was abusive because then I would have to accept that I, you know, I stayed for so long. There was a lot of feelings in that. Right. And I felt the need to immediately start to defend him mm-hmm. and to defend us. I haven't been with this guy for 15 years, but I felt like it said something about me and I kept saying to her, and I thought it was curious, and we talked about this, why I kept saying it. I kept saying, but we were so normal. Mm -hmm. Like at most time we were normal. Like here we are making dinner and having dinner on the patio. Here we are, you know, like (laughs) lunching on a Sunday. Like it was, it was very normal for the most part. Except when it wasn't. It was was really, really bad. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so there were some benefits and there are. And then the other benefit is distraction. You know, if I'm in this crate, I'll speak for myself. Part of my, you know, what compelled me to participate in crazy relationships, it was a wonderful distraction from my own childhood pain and my own feelings Mm -hmm. and my own traumas, because there was always something on fire. And if there's always something on fire, then you're in crisis mode, which is a very appealing place if you're trying to avoid the past. It is. No shame. It, that's yeah. just a fact. That's an interesting, yeah, that's interesting to look at as well. One of the other thing, the things that came up, in, came up in my experience is she, we, we the, veered the conversation and we were talking about the sexual relationship I had with him. And I had mentioned that it was, it was super intense. And I, and I said, I used to half joke with people and say, the the only real time that we got along great was in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And she told me, and I didn't know this, but she said that in, in many, she'd been a therapist for 40 years. She just actually retired. And she said in the vast majority of the clients that she's had of women in heterosexual relationships who had been with an abusive partner, there was some element that drew them in within the sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And that it was typically, the sex was really great um, and or intense and it was kind of the only place where they could connect. You know, I'm using air quotes over right. here, connect. And many times they used it to control one another. And I was like, you just, 
totally described exactly what our sex life was like. It's really wild because there's so much chemical stuff that goes on when you're having sex. And whether, again, narcissists are just a manipulative person, they're masters at reading what it is that you're wanting, where your wounds are, what's going to, you know, literally get you off. And then once you throw sex Mm -hmm. in the mix, then you've got all those hormones and that, you know, chemical cocktail of, oh my God, this person sees me. This is my twin flame soulmate. And I can't live without this person. Um, It's intense. Sex will cement people, myself included, in unhealthy relationships. Yeah. And it's... um... It was, it was a lot to rumble with <laughs> <laughs> her, her holding the mirror up. Um, she sounds yeah. amazing. I, you had a good therapist. She, she was, I got really lucky. And as I was telling my audience um, several episodes ago, I specifically, well, I asked a friend's therapist and I said, I need someone who the other therapists see. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, mm-hmm. I want the best of the best. And I want someone who specializes in some kind of somatic healing mm-hmm. because I have talked and talked and talked, which I think is great. I think talk therapy definitely has its place, sure. but I was stuck. I, I was stuck and needed some more stuff. So we did some, we did some, some somatic therapy. So cool. Okay. My next question is about, and I can't remember if I asked you in the last episode or not. So please forgive me if I'm, if I'm, someone just listened to the last episode and they're like, you already asked that, but I want to know, how did you get to working specifically with this topic? Was it because of your own personal experience or did you see a need for it or something else? I would love to be able to say, you know, I just really wanted to help other people. And that's true, (laughs) but that's such not my primary objective. Um, My primary objective was, you know, survive my life. And then, you know, try to feel a little less shitty. And in doing so, I picked up a few pieces of info along the way that they don't teach in graduate school, that therapists don't talk about, that people, I mean, for all, you know, people bitch about social media, I have seen more accurate information about narcissistic relationships on Instagram than I saw in postgraduate training, in graduate school, or anywhere else. So... (laughs) (laughs) It's so sad, but the things that I learned came out of just, you know, therapist heal thyself. And then once I learned them and I got out of the crazy, then it was, okay, I want to tell other people what I know, but you know, it wasn't exactly altruistic at the beginning. (laughs) Okay. Well, I have learned so many things from TikTok. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's crazy. (laughs) Everything from... Okay, so to this morning I was watching TikTok and there was a scientist on there talking about how we as humans aren't inherently sexually attracted to female breasts, that it's cultural. Okay. That we are the, I mean, just random, weird <laughs> scientific things. And then he's like the, and he was like this older gentleman and he's like the only thing that is universal in all cult- cultures that sexually turns on, turns us on in our brains is watching people have sex. Oh, that's that wild. the only thing. Isn't it? I, I was like, oh my God. I guess breasts are people just were, as arbitrary as feet. It could have been our feet or the, like everyone's obsessed right. with feet. Right. It could be, yeah, elbows mm-hmm. or something. And it just things like that. And also, you know, hacks for how to how to get the stems off cilantro. I've done that. <laughs> like <laughs> so many things. I swear. I'm still paying off my college loans, but I have learned more from TikTok. <laughs> so 
true and it's valid. Oh I mean, there's bad information online. Well, there's bad information in the, even the most prestigious programs, uh, you know, and sure. universities. So it's about knowing how to sort through the information, but I'm with you. I've learned more from TikTok and Instagram than I did in a lot of my schooling, you know, officially. Do you have, or do you have a TikTok account? I know there's a lot of therapists on there who are doing really well. I don't. I'm so, I've spent so much time on Instagram. I just cannot take on another thing right now. Perhaps someday. <laughs> What's your, okay. So tell us what your Instagram handle is so people can go follow you and then tell us a, a few other, if you remember them off the top of your head, Instagram, good mental health and maybe some trauma healing um, accounts that you follow. Okay. So my Instagram is at Brit Frank and Brit has two T's. Frank has one K B R I T T F R A N K. Um, so that's me. And then the accounts that I follow. Okay. Off the top of my head. I really like sit with wit. Um, she's fabulous. Who else do I, I'm like so blanking, right? I'm just gonna pull it up and look. We can, we can, you can tell us a few later when you remember in the middle of the night okay. and then I can put them in the show notes. Totally blanking. But you said something, something narc that was, that was one that you mentioned earlier. Narc away is one that I okay. think I quoted and I, I just always like attributing credit. And that's N-A-R-C-A-W-A-Y. Yeah, I think. Okay. I think. Perfect. I think I've saved a few memes and kind of carousel things from them. And it was, it was very interesting. Yeah. There's so much good stuff out there, you know, not just from narcissism for, for trauma. I really like, you talked about somatic work. I like Irene Lyon a lot, L-Y-O-N. She does really awesome work on somatic experiencing in the nervous system, which is awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for those resources so much. And are, are we allowed to talk about your book? Yes. Yeah, we can. Okay. Does it have a title yet? It does. It's called The Science of Stuck. And it's all about the things that we do, why we do the things we do, and really taking the shame and judgment and guilt and all of that off of the process so we can actually do the things we want to do without, why am I so lazy? Why am I so unmotivated? And what's really going on and how to get out. All practical, really easy to digest information. I'm so excited about it. Oh my gosh. I have a feeling this is going to be huge. So it, it comes out April um, 22, yes. correct? Yes. 22. So we have a few months. I'll have you back on when it comes out so we can talk specifically about the science of stuck. Great title, by the Thank way. Thank you. Super smart titles matter. Thank you so much. <laughs> And I would, uh, all those links are in the show notes, your website and, and to follow you on Instagram. Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything you want to circle back to, to, to what we said earlier or that you, you need to say before we go to feel complete? Um, the same thing I always say, which is, you know, whatever's going on, whoever's listening, you are not crazy. Everything makes sense in context, even if you don't know what the context is. And scene. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming back, Britt. I have so enjoyed this conversation. Listeners, thank you so much for your time. I value that time so much. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye, everybody. Hi there. Swinging back by to say one more thing. You know how I'm always giving advice over here on the show and on social media. And a couple of those things is that I'm always telling you to ask for what you want, be clear about it, and also ask for help. So I am taking a dose of my own medicine and I'm going to do that right now. 
It would be the absolute best and mean the world to me if you reviewed and subscribed to this show, Make Some Noise Podcast, on whatever podcast platform of your choice. And even more importantly, it would matter so much if you shared this show. Sharing the show is one of the few ways the podcast can grow, and that also gives more women an opportunity to make some noise in their lives. You can do that by taking a screenshot when you're listening on your phone and sharing it in your Instagram or Facebook stories. If you're on Instagram, you can tag me at HeyAndreaOwen, and I try my best to always reshare those and give you a quick thank you DM. And also, you can tell your friends and family about it. Tell them what you learned. Tell them a really awesome guest that you found on the show that you started following. Whatever it is, I appreciate so much you sharing about this show. 